Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. You guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am Katie, your host, and I'm thrilled to bring you today's live podcast episode. It is a swap cast, so it's a collaboration with my podcast bestie, Christy Harrison, who hosts Food Psych. She's been on my show twice. And we got together and hosted this amazing panel discussion live in New York City a couple months ago when I was in town for my book tour. So that is the episode that's getting aired today. And I'm not even going to prep you too much for what you're going to hear in just a few minutes. Some of you guys were there. It was so fantastic to meet you and get to record this in front of a live audience, but we had a panel of amazing people who I knew and some that I didn't know and I fell in love with. I want to do one-on-one episodes with every single person in that panel. Some of them I already have, and I know you're going to fall in love with them as well. We will intro them in the actual episode, but before we get to that, a couple things as usual. So, number one, my book is out. Have to plug it. Gotta go check it out. It's called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, and I'm obsessed with it. And it'd be so cool if you bought a copy for yourself, for your friend, for your plumber, for your boyfriend, for your builder, for everyone you know. That'd be super cool. Secondly, this podcast episode is Brought to you by, I will say, by my friend Christy Harrison's amazing new program that she just came out with. Literally, right now, it is just coming out. It is an online course about intuitive eating, and she is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and all-around really cool person. She practices health at every size, which we get into in this episode a little bit. She's very body positive. She's very cool. She's very kind. She's really fun to hang out with. We had pizza together late at night. Basically, I just think the world of Christy and her work has helped me so much, and I'm so proud of this course, and it's been so helpful to me, and it even includes some of my journaling exercises in it. It's fantastic, and If anyone wants to learn more about intuitive eating, if anyone wants to stop all that negativity that comes with dieting and that roller coaster and getting off of it and learning to listen to your body again and learning to find joy in food and learning to be more chill around food, this is the course for you. Check it out. Link is in the show notes. Use the link in the show notes because that supports the podcast and that'll let Christy know that I sent you to her amazing course. So that would be really cool. Link is in the show notes. Make sure you use the show notes. Second thing that I want to plug and mention is that my publisher, Hay House, does a summit every year, and it is one of my favorite times of year. I learn so much. I always go over the data on my phone because I listen to every single interview, but basically they interview a bunch of Hay House authors, including myself, and they interview other people too, and it's always really inspiring. I always learn a bunch, and it's happening now. The sign-up is now, and it's completely free. That's the crazy thing. Completely free. All you have to do is enter your email. And the link to that, again, is in the show notes. Use my link in the show notes to check that out. And 
I'm one of the experts being interviewed, I guess. I'm a journaling enthusiast, not expert. That's what I always say. However, I am in there as one of the experts. You can hear me as well as Gabby Bernstein, who wrote the forward to my book, Tara Stiles, Chris Carr, Nancy Levin, Jessica Ortner. So many Hay House authors have been on my podcast, and you can hear their fresh interviews that they just did recently in this summit and you'll also learn a bunch more stuff i remember last year i listened to one on lucid dreaming which i thought was really cool i learned about meditation and and it's, it's really cool it's a lot of spiritual stuff a lot of practical stuff there's even like some business stuff it's fantastic i love hay house and everything that they do they are such a great publisher and company and i love the summit so check that out and without further ado let's get to today's live from new york city podcast We have some amazing guests for you today. So just bring on our first guest. Let's do it. Okay. So our first guest is an amazing musician, comedian, and writer, and she's an actress. She also is a coach with a coaching program called The Fuck It Diet, which is just an amazing title. We got to give it up for that. Caroline Huner. So off, Caroline is going to uh, sing us. a song for you guys. Yes, I am. For all of us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah. She's been a, pod, a two-time podcast guest on mine because the first time we met, we was on my podcast, like most of the people here. I make most of my friends on the podcast. I'm the type of person that records most of my conversations with people <laughs> as an excuse to network with people. And I had her on the podcast and it was going so well. And it, we were about mm, like getting close to two hours. Hour, two hours in, maybe. Well, close to two hours yeah, in. We were two hours in. We were two hours in. And, but we really had a lot of momentum and I had a lot more things I want to ask her. And for people who listen to my podcast, you know it, love by quick fires at the end. And I got it, you know, asked, I was like, I got to get to, you know, what is the wellness one that I made you? The whole thing, let's wrap this up. And then all of a sudden she was like, Katie, honestly, and I was like, oh God, she's like, needs to go and she's not going to do it. And she's like, not having fun at all. And she's like, I'm really having fun. I just need to pee and then I'll come back. And so then I, we made it a two-parter. So, and then Christy also had her on her podcast. She, and Caroline was on my first live episode yeah. at the pit. So some of you guys were there. Um, that was amazing. And then I was recently on her podcast, her yes. newly launched, yes. amazing, yeah. incredible podcast. So good. Called the Fuck It Diet Radio, right? Yes. Fuck yes. It Diet Radio. Love it. So without further ado, we just had to hype her up a little more. Yeah. This song that I'm going to sing is about a misdiagnosis that I got one time. And it's also the only love song that I've ever written. Do you know? Oh, you know? No, it's okay. (laughs) I have a capo. It's normally higher, but it just doesn't matter. It's too hard to change it right now. Do you know?
I didn't love you, no. It's because my mother had trouble digesting dairy, and she thought that I did too. Oh, do you know the lengths we go? We search everywhere, high and low. In middle school at the salad bar, I couldn't be kept very far. I'd fill a bowl with shredded cheese, and I'd eat as much orange shards as I pleased. I never I didn't understand what lactose intolerance was supposed to be. So I stayed away for far too long. But I'm back and now singing this song for you, my cheddar. And I'll never go away again. Mmm, go cheese. Like the stuff about your mom and this is the tip of the iceberg. Oh yes, <laughs> and we are going to get into all of it and more. So the format of this discussion is going to be like a group discussion. So basically, um, on my podcast, I talk to people about their relationships to food, you know, from childhood until now, and if they've uh, gone into work in the body positive or eating disorder recovery world, like what brought them to this work, what in their personal life drove them here. Um, and then on Katie's podcast, The Wellness Wonderland... Yeah, this is good that we're kind of introducing ourselves. Most of you know us or listen to our podcast, but mine is really, it started off as a way for me to have a conversation with people that I thought were really interesting and cool and get an hour of their time and, and get to know them. And by saying I was recording it and saying people were listening, which at the time it was like barely my mom, you know, <laughs> um, but it got them to give me an hour of the, their time. And I'm so grateful for the first people who came on the show and, and did that when no one was listening. And now they're in my archive when lots of people are listening. And the first thing that they do is, is go back into the archive. I think some people here have even done that before. So it's really transitioned and grown as I've transitioned and grown because the interesting thing is Christy and I both started our podcasts from across the country in 2013 when back then it was pre-serial where not a lot of people knew about podcasts or even what they were. So it's really cool that we've both grown since the first episode so much with our relationships with food and ourselves and what we do. And just as people and then in the podcast, and I have a ton that really shows, you know, through the people I was having on the podcast, through the questions I was asking. And it's really cool for, for those of you who have been with me for a long time or, or found me recently and have gone back because, and I think in, in Christy's case too, you can see our growth and our transition through the podcast. It's kind of documented in this, this public way on the internet, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, mine is just basically an interview show where I ask people, Anything I'm curious about, and we just have a conversation, and sometimes it's three hours. <laughs> and 
and that's just how it goes. <laughs> and this one might be too, so get comfortable. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really cool how like to see how these podcasts have evolved to encompass body positivity and eating disorder recovery, which yeah. are like things that we were both starting to like dip a toe into when we started our podcasts. You know, yeah. for me, I was recovered from an eating disorder, but I wasn't like, I hadn't framed that to myself. I wasn't like my relationship with food is normal now. And, you know, here's where I've been and here's where I am and here's where I'm going. And, um, sort of have, you know, hadn't embraced the, the, you know, growth that I had gone through and also the body positivity movement and the sort of larger political, um, importance of being a recovered person and speaking out and, you know, sharing my story and supporting, like vocally supporting people in their recovery and in their pushing back against diet culture and this body shaming world that we all live in. So I think through the podcast, I met and connected with people who had gone through similar things. And I started to think about like all the commonalities we shared and, you know, some of the the really fucked up things that a lot of us had been through with regard to our body image, you know, making things that had made us feel ashamed of ourselves or things that had triggered an eating disorder. Um, and, you know, it just sort of started to web out from there thinking about like all the political ramifications of, um, of what I had gone through. So, you know, and I think you've shared that your story was sort of similar. Like you started the wellness wonderland from a perspective of like wanting to like, you know, ask people about their, how yeah. they ate, how they yeah. ate so clean, right? Exactly. Like, I was asking, like, how many chia seeds you do you eat? And, like, what exactly, you know, do you do? And and it's so, like, I, I look back at those old episodes and I cringe, you know, because I was just in such a such a different place then. But I, I see that transition. And honestly, and I've told you this many times because, you know, I, I'm obsessed with Christy. And I'm her biggest fan and the biggest fan of food. Like, I'm so glad I found her podcast because it really did help me so much. And I've recommended to, it to so many people, many of whom are in this audience because it was really helpful for me to see other people have been through this and come to the other side, like Christy, like Caroline, and, and, and really see that as I went through it myself. And, and that was transformative for me. And so that's why I think, you know, I want to continue doing that and, and sharing it because it was so helpful for me. And I think having conversations like this, it can be very isolating and especially, you know, as the rise of the health movement is happening and so many more people, um, that that is so public and not that to us you know we a lot of us in this room we feel like we're surrounded this is so everybody everybody talks about body positivity and everybody's in this world but i forget that it is it is still pretty niche um for a lot of people and and it's important to have these conversations and there's so many people doing great work you know like the people that you're going to hear from today. And, and I think that that's fantastic. And I just think there's needs to be so many voices and so much collaboration and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm so grateful for food psych and that we're able to come together. Our two podcasts that are, um, and, and this first, this is the first time we've been on each other's shows multiple times, but it's the first time we've actually done an event together. And it's really cool to, to bring this together for a swap cast. Yes, yeah, totally. I love this idea of the swap cast. Yeah. I love that you brought that to my attention because I was like, I had heard that word before, but I never really knew what yeah. it was. Or what is it? Well, I got it from our fave right. Pete Holmes. Shout out to the Pete Holmes podcast. You made, who's yeah. the, you made it weird fans. We were the weirdos. Yeah. Um, Christy turned me on to that and then I turned down everyone I know to it because <laughs> we're obsessed with it. Um, and he was on basically, I don't know if he made it up or some other guy, but it was just him 
And he had a conversation on somebody else's podcast, and he was like, I'm going to also air this online. And so that's what we're doing. Oh, it's going to, yeah. this episode that you're a part of right now will air on mine and Christie's. So it'll bring more people to the message, which is ultimately why we're all here. So, yes. And hopefully this will be the start of, you know, many annual or yes. weekly or monthly yes. Um, yes. live events. So. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, without further ado, let's bring on our, our guests, our panel, because we should bring them into this discussion, too. So um, first we have Kelsey Miller of uh, Refinery29 and author of the book Big Girl. of the blog Plus Size Princess, a YouTuber and uh, all-around body image, body positivity star. Amy Rowe, who is a psychotherapist who treats eating disorders and who also is an improviser at the Magnet Theater. Gang's all here. Thank you, ladies, all so much for being here. It's so nice to connect with you all in person. And uh, some of you have been, Kelsey was on my podcast via Skype. So we, you know, connected deeply on audio and then met in person briefly, but like haven't really yeah. talked in person so much. So this is a really nice opportunity. Um, I'm, this is like a great circle to be sitting in. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. 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 This is such a fabulous circle to be sitting in. So. And I think we're all, we all have commonalities, I think, you know, from improv to, you know, food and body positivity. Obviously, we're all on the same page with things. But what I really like about this group of people, and I think why Christy and I chose it is because there's a lot of similarities, but you also are very unique just by, you know, why we, when we introduce you, you can tell that everyone here does something very, very different. So I'm really excited to dive in. And I think we're going to kind of format this conversation a little bit of a mix between the way Christy does her show and the way that I do my show, which are very similar. But what I love about Christy's show is that we really get a window into people through their relationship with food. And I think that's really fascinating because as we know that the way that we grew up with food and just how our food affects our body image and the everything about us, it's um, a really great way to get to know people. Um, so I think, do we want to just start there? Yeah, sure. Let's start there. So the way I usually start my podcast is I ask people, what was your relationship to food growing up? Because I think that's a great jumping off point to explore like what underlying issues, you know, what was sort of the formative issues in your relationship to food? Um, so maybe we'll start with you, Cece, oh, since gosh. you're a first time <laughs> podcast guest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so yeah, my relationship to food growing up, a lot of the women on my mom's side are plus size. And so there was like food as reward, food as happy, food as sad, food as anything that you can name. Um, but one of the things that I always talk about now that I'm way more aware <laughs> is growing up with the food pyramid as part of how I was taught nutrition mm -hmm. and seeing the carbs on that. And I have PCOS, which I didn't know at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm like 11 or 12 and it's summer. And I decided that I was going to like lose weight over the summer, <laughs> like that back to school skinny. Oh, that yes. you always dream about, you know what I'm talking about? I feel like <laughs> many of us have talked about this. Right. Yeah. So every summer you're like, I'm going to go back. No one's going to know who I am. My hair is going to get really, I'm going to be really tan. Yeah. The whole thing. <laughs> 
yeah. my fantasy involved color contacts. I don't know why. Of course. Purple. Those creepy ones. So like, creepy. Yeah. Where it's like all like I charms. Think I like hazel, which would have looked crazy on the brown skin, but whatever. That's not the point. Um, but the food pyramid had carbs. I have PCOS, which means my body loves carbs, but mm. carbs don't do well for my body. And all summer, I kept telling myself, oh, to lose weight, I need carbs. Because of on the food pyramid, that's what it was kind of translating to me. Huh, uh-huh. So it was like me and like all the Costco muffins. Like, <laughs> like the ones as big as your head. Like those were like my best friends all summer. And I thought I was doing a good thing. So I think misinformed is like the word that I would use for that. Totally. The misinformed that food doesn't have to be the way you celebrate life or mourn or go through bad things. But also that like you need to know what you're eating and what it does like with your body. I didn't right. have any of that. Where did you come up with the idea that like the food pyramid was the way? Is it just? I think they did like a like hodgepodge nutrition class like in my mm-hmm. junior high, and it was like I don't know what there was probably something. I believe that like your body can speak to you like mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. without you know the body brain connection. I believe in it, so I feel like whatever I saw with the carbs, the PCOS in me was like that's what you mm-hmm. need. Like I didn't really pay attention to the cheese and the vegetables like that <laughs> didn't resonate. But when they said yeah. there's bread as part of this, I was like, yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. And more things. Yeah. you go straight there. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. That's, That's really interesting. And it was totally the base of the pyramid. There was so much of it. Yeah. It was like, right. makes sense. The best yeah, thing. so I wasn't totally crazy, but like, yeah. you see that as the foundation, It's I was just like, okay, I can do that. At least yeah. I can be the foundation. And that was not the best choice. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, so when you decided to try to lose weight, like, what was the motivating factor? Did you have any, like, anyone saying things to you or yeah my doctor (laughs) yeah that was this was all around the same time actually so it's that kind of junior high time and my doctor kind of like put me on the scale and the number was there and she Mm. was just like you're fat like in the worst intense um way but what I find fascinating about that story is that like that was definitely a hurtful moment for me, but it was also empowering, which I think the seed of body positivity was probably planted in that moment because my mom asked me to step outside and she had words with the doctor. Like you're talking to my child in a very inappropriate way. Like this is an issue, but the way you handled it wasn't correct. And then my mom like came out and we had to talk about it. So even though I knew it was something that wasn't good, it, it rocked me, but it didn't like knock me over. But that was kind of the beginning of dieting for me and all that. And of course, you come back to it with 30 more pounds. Every oh, time. yeah. So face. good that your mom had that intuition to yeah. step in that way. Which, I mean, she had her own, you know, body image stuff going on and right. her own weight loss journey that she was on. But even then I didn't understand it. But now when I look back, like there, that part of the memory is just as strong as my doctor mm. being like wildly inappropriate with me as a kid. You know yeah. That? Cause your mom didn't just co-sign it automatically. She yeah. was like, actually, let me push back on this. Yeah. Cause the shame was heavy. Like mm. shame can be such a, like that can be the beginning of the end in a lot right, of ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So to have someone kind of come to your rescue in that moment, cause how many of us are called that and nobody says anything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so, or somebody's like, you're right. You should actually, like if your yeah. mom had like jumped on board with that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so fabulous. So did you like from there, did you kind of stop pursuing it as actively or no, no, no. no. I still went full you, force yeah. into diet mode. So yeah. I probably started dieting when I was like 11 or 12 mm-hmm. um, and just kept going. Um, more like crash dieting, I guess, or really intense things. I've done basically any diet that you can think of from, 
yeah, from things that you see on commercials to things that doctors put you on when you're eating like space food and drinking shakes and all that kind of stuff. So I've done it all. Um, and then my work as a plus size, um, style blogger and a lifestyle blogger and, my model became like, don't wait on your weight to live your best life. Like just love that. Go do stuff like go yeah. parasail and travel and don't worry about what the scale says. And then from there I was like, okay, but I do like, I've always been active and that's not to me weird. Like I was a dancer growing up, even though I was plus size and stuff like that, which is a whole other story of body shaming. We won't get into that. <laughs> so from next there, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Next podcast. You got that one. But yeah, just totally exploring like, okay, how can I say I love my body? How can I say I'm plus size and that might not change, but still be as healthy as I possibly Mm -hmm. can? Like, that doesn't mean I don't go to the gym four days a week. That doesn't mean that I don't eat clean or try to figure those things out. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So finding that balance is now a big part of my platform um, as a plus size lifestyle person. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We'll we'll totally talk more about that. Yeah, I feel like I'm I talking love... a lot. So. No, totally. I know it's it's tough with <laughs> the like childhood. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I'm amazing. 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 Ever decided to go for contacts? Because that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I probably like three months ago I saw gray contacts with a girl that had dark skin like me, and it actually Ooh, looked good. That would be cool. But touching my yeah. eyeballs, like I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> that's like I don't. You don't wear contacts like do otherwise. It. No, no. 2020 vision. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can do party tricks and I'll like put letters back. <laughs> 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 2015 vision for a really long time, which is like better than 2020. Oh, yeah, it's random. Oh my God, it's so that's, that's so like cool. a fun fact. Wow. And then I got 2020. I was like, I can't see. I told my eye doctor, he was like, you're fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we've heard a little bit about childhood for you. Yeah. So maybe we can jump over to Amy, who's another first time food yeah. site guest, because these two ladies have shared a little bit about their childhood before on Food Site, but we'll definitely talk more about it. Um, <laughs> first but time on your podcast, first timer. First so yeah. Mine too, actually. So uh-huh. yeah. Never done it. Yeah. I was thinking about it and I mean what a funny question too, like what's your relationship to food? Because how often do any of us like ever ponder and stuff to think about? Yeah. You know, ourselves is like having a relationship to all things around us. Um, and I, when I started to think about like how I ate as a kid or like how I related to food as a kid, I began to think about seeing my mom diet so much, mm-hmm. um, especially after pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also during the era of like a lot of snack wells, a lot of like that's really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really bad. That stuff was all like super sugary and yeah. super sweet. Yeah. And because I was naturally kind of smaller, getting a lot of messages that I was like really healthy and that I mm. ate really healthy, even though I really didn't know like what that even actually fully meant. So definitely like very early on getting a lot of messages about, you know, needing to be conscientious and needing to watch for what you were eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely, I made a choice to become a vegetarian at like 10 or something. Wow. And I have to ponder that choice or like why no one really questioned that. But I think I really was receiving all these messages um, with everyone else in my family being like much bigger sizes than I am. Like you're very healthy. And I think I did a little bit of thinking around like, well, what else would be healthy? Like what makes me so healthy? What makes me different from people? And like trying to do more of that. I think that like led me into sports. It led me into like this choice to become a vegetarian. It made me more conscientious about like some of this fat stuff too. Cause like, that was definitely like loud in my ears and like those snack wells commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff with me. 
Yeah. So you're, you bought into the low fat diet craze kind of. Yeah. I was, I was the healthy person in my family. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like when a role is given to you when you're so young, you're like, Oh, thank you. An identity. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 I'm a healthy person. So I guess I play sports, you know what I mean? Right. I do all these things that I associate with health versus like, if you're the fat one or whatever, you're like, Uh well, I guess I'm going to start stealing food. And I think you pick those roles up and you drop them. Like I know for me, I didn't grow up in that role, but then all of a sudden I made this choice and then I was in that role. And then when I didn't want to be in that role anymore, I'm still like for a lot of people in that role, like, Oh, "Oh, you're the wellness wonderland. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what you're, you're the, you know, people Mm -hmm. look, I'm looking at my green smoothie. I'm like, that's cool. That's awesome. But like (laughs) also everything else is cool too. Now, you know, but that's just like a way of people connecting with you. So I think Mm -hmm. changing that role. So then where did you go from there with changing that role? Or like, did that evolve at all? Or did you kind of stay in that? I think, I mean, for me, I feel like you've got to make a choice within yourself to be like, okay, I'm going to be like authentically who I am. And then other people will kind of like pick up on it or not, or be baffled by it. Mm-hmm. So I still think that when I eat with my family, especially with like extended family members, there's a little bit of a like, hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like you're eating the same thing that we are and you look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is this all about? Because there's maybe like been an assumption that like I was eating differently or doing anything different. And that's why I looked the way that I did. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, people will be ready to see or people will be ready to like hear things when they're ready to. I think sometimes when I eat with my family, I do challenge some of the thoughts or some of the ideas that are out there about like what's healthy eating or what's not. It still confuses people that I don't eat meat Mm -hmm. and like manage to look the same. Like nothing's really drastically changed here. Um, But yeah, people will authentically relate to you and see who you really are like as they're prepared to see that. Unfortunately, I think we're always like, one family visit away from going back to that pre-assigned mm. role of like who you really were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. I feel like I still slip into that. Like, oh, me too. Right. It's, it's hard to completely go away from it. So Kelsey, tell us about your experience of, you know, your sort of identity as a kid and, and you shared so beautifully in your memoir. Everybody mm-hmm. should totally run out and get this book. Hold it up. Like, it's, it's yeah. Best book of amazing. 2016. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. So. Um, yeah. I mean, I I knew from as long as I was conscious of having a body that it was a problem. Um, and like food was, you know, both the, the, the fix and the, you know, thing that was, I can't find the word, but the thing that was making it worse. It was like my enemy or my savior no matter what. And so... You know, things like hunger and fullness went out the window. It was like, am I a good person or a bad person today? You know what I mean? Or in this moment. So I had a very adversarial relationship with with food, certainly. Um, And I did a lot of the, like, you know, the hiding food things and the, like, you know, going to your friend's house who had, like, you know, free reign over the cabinet. Like, you're, like, witnessing the, like, I had this friend who had a literal candy drawer and stuff like that. And I was like... (laughs) <laughs> and I would just like stand in front of it and be like, are the fucking cops going to come in? <laughs> and you want to just like, how many things can I remove before they can notice and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know? So it was like, it was that kind of thing. And then, because, you know, I certainly couldn't eat basically anything in front of anybody else. Yeah, it's um, so the behavior of deprivation. I feel like when you start sneaking and feeling policed like that, it's like, that's not... 
doesn't come from nowhere. That comes from deprivation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I know. It's really hard to to learn that message, even though I absolutely believe it all mm-hmm. the time. You know, I think only half of my brain still believes it now. So it's got to like sort of instruct the other half. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess. So then I, um, uh, I started the diet cycle also very early, um, with the, you know, it's, it's easy to crash diet when you're a child. <laughs> Your yeah. body does. If you, if you, you know, you know, if you do it right, you can lose a lot of weight really fast. Um, but of course it comes back and then you're, just chasing that dragon, chasing that dragon, you yeah. know, and it's gotta be, it's every, it's every plan, you know, and like I said, cause the magic wears off and you can't like go back to the thing where the magic is worn off. So you gotta find the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I did that. Um, and that became like the structure within uh, which I lived my entire life essentially until I was 29. Yeah. Wow. And you said in the book that like it started with acting, right? That it started the yeah. sort of crystallizing moment everything. of the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. Uh, yeah. I mean, because I had this sort of like magical little girl's dream moment where uh, I had auditioned for an agent who wanted or management that wanted to sign me. And they said, can you lose 10 pounds? And uh, I said, yeah, sure. Great. And I just, you know, I did it times three and two weeks and, and then, the, you know, it all fell through. But like I tasted the magic of skinny that for that moment. And all of a sudden I was popular. I got all these clothes. It was like for a minute, it was like all the rumors were true about losing weight. Everything was better. And then of course the balloon popped and it was like, everything was a thousand times worse than it had been before. Yeah. And I think that's like why it's so important to do this work for this body image, body positivity work and like spread the message mm-hmm. about that every size. Cause it's like to have everything in your life seem so much better yeah. when you lose weight. Like, and that like, long-term weight loss is not sustainable. Like right. there is no research showing that to be true. Like 95 to 99.99% of diets fail. So like, what are we doing encouraging people to chase that dragon for their entire lives? You know, like it's so damaging. That is the hardest. My readers that they'll write in and say, but I was happier. I know I was, yeah. Yeah. I was, my life was better. People liked me more. And and, you know, part of that, like you just said, is true because mm-hmm. our culture is fucked up. Yeah. Right. But yeah. the other thing is that you kind of endow yourself with that confidence. You're like, mm-hmm. now I'm allowed to like myself. And yeah. so everything yeah. does get better. Yeah, it does. You know? But, yeah, it's, it's the wrong way around. And it's like, do you want to be part of the problem or the solution? And I think when you've had a taste of it, and I think that's something we explored in my article that I wrote for you, yeah, yeah. Um, where I talked about, like, anorexia nostalgia, I think is what a lot of people, when I was writing that, I didn't know that that what that even was, but, um, but I wrote this out of, which we'll get to Kelsey is the founder of the anti-diet project at refinery 29, which is amazing. Can we just give it a round? And it's been amazing. Christy wrote an amazing piece for that. And I was able to write something for that, which I'm so grateful and so much coaching and being an amazing editor. Um, but that, that article kind of explored that exact piece of work, which is that, you know, when you've been there kind of wanting, wanting to go back and like to, to talk about that, I think was a, that was powerful for me. And I, I was really happy that so many people related to that because it's like, but wait, I, I was so much more confident then. I, I did feel better in my body then because I felt like, because the world was giving me compliments, you know, and people were praising me and asking, what do you do? What do you eat? You know, how do, how do I do it? You know, all the times so you, of course, that validation gets to you. And of course, 
being there is unsustainable. And then, like you said, the bubble pops and you have to figure out how to live in the world wanting to go back to that when you did look that way and be that way and decide not to again and again and again until it becomes second nature. And like, I thought you said that really beautifully, like that one part of your brain instructing the other part of your brain. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's not second nature for a long time. And, you know, I still have moments all the time. I'm very vulnerable with this of, you know, what I call bad body image days, you know, but I don't let them turn into a bad body image week or month. I do something like listen to a podcast like this or text Christy or another friend or, you know, do something that gets me out of that. And I have the tools now. Um, but I think that that's really, really important. And such a great point. And not, and it's so important to not beat yourself up about those days as well, because yeah. it's like, also, I think when you've been dealing with this food baloney for so long, you're so used to the part where you're like, I'm, I'm a piece of shit and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like, you find the way to beat yourself up yeah. and stuff like that. Sorry. I feel like I'm cursing because I asked if I could curse. <laughs> and we're like, yes, please. Yes. I feel like it's my job now. <laughs> I'm going to try real hard, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you're... Part of being, you know, okay is having lousy days yeah. and stuff like that. And, and, and not feeling like I've just destroyed this, like, you know, new health and recovery because mm. I'm having a bad day with mm. it. I think that's so important. Totally. Yeah. That life is not black and white. There's so many shades of gray. And yeah. Like, but isn't it interesting too, as women, I mean, you know, and maybe some of the men in the room as well, but I feel like as women, like so many of us are channel like our feeling bad about ourselves or our lives gets channeled into feeling bad about our bodies yeah. so quickly because we believe it's going to help yeah it's yeah. going to fix everything totally when we get I there know. then it's all going to be great then it, like that's where my happiness and success lies it's like yeah. when i can that's what she was clinging to you explain yeah. to you you're not you know it's unsustainable to lose the weight it's like right they're holding on to the dream of everything being better yeah I'm holding on so much to the idea of the smallest body it's like this is my solution and this is what i know to be my salvation yeah, totally. don't need to touch it mm-hmm. right you know and it's conveniently there for us as women you know, yeah everywhere we look oh yeah we're encouraged to do it by you know advertising by magazines by the media and like family yeah. and friends and it's yeah. all getting worse too i wrote about this recently about like the rebranding of, of things like weight watchers and lean cuisine mm-hmm. and how they they don't use the words weight anymore and they don't use the words diet and they're like get empowered you know <laughs> <laughs> what's your glow mint what <laughs> the scale but you have to get on the scale to live beyond it's like oh, oh, i can't i can't i want to crawl under the table God, i think i'm in so denial to be honest with you i'm like like I just put up like a shield, like it's not happening. It's not happening. Yeah. Like it's so upsetting. But don't you feel like they're co-opting like the body positive yes, though? Like yeah. they're taking yeah. our words, but not our message. Totally. And they're like, but still, we're going to keep scary. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. very no, scary it's to me. Scary. Which is why it's hard. Like I'll talk to somebody who's in Weight Watchers and again clinging it to for mm-hmm. for everything yeah. that they're worth, mm-hmm. and they're like, but it's not a diet. Right. It's like, stop. <laughs> There's points, but who you yeah. spend the points that you want to spend? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I eat bread every, like, open I eat bread every single <laughs> oh day. Oh my God. 
I'm really wondering what's get like what is Oprah gonna be saying in five years? I know. I'm kind of just jumping there. I'm like, is she gonna come back around? Are you listening, Oprah? Can you listen, please? I'm just like, I'm like, I'm waiting for that. For like, I know she's gonna see again, and then she's gonna tell everyone, hopefully, and then we'll all be on her show. She says that thing where she's like, inside every overweight woman is the woman she knows she can be. Oh, you are the woman. say that to people like I hold that up as like the example of how futile this whole process is because like she's I think one of the richest if not the richest women in the world right or Mm -hmm. like she's you know she's billions of dollars she's up there and she has amazing success with all the media she's created and she's like you know the pinnacle of success in so many measures in her life and this one area she is not able to control or tame or get you know whatever like like if she, with all her infinite resources, is not able to sustainably lose weight, then who who is? Like, how is it possible for anyone, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think I've spoken about this many times on, on my podcast with many of the people in this room. But, like, with this rise of this health movement, which, you know, was a lot of my journey getting into, you know, which leads me to being here with you guys. And thank God it, it all happened because I'm happy to be here. But I think in the past, like in the 90s and with the snack wells and all of that, you know, we at least called a spade a spade. It was like, I'm dieting and it's mm-hmm. for aesthetic reasons and it's to be thinner. But where now there's like this mask you can wear where it's like, I'm doing it to be healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it to, you know, whatever. And that might be a part of it. But then and that might be legitimate for people starting. But then they see the the weight loss that happens and they're like, Oh, but actually look at all these compliments I get. And I can take this a little further. And, and it just is this slippery slope and they're so intertwined and that that's scary. And that's, you know, I've, I've called Christy many times being like, I wonder how this is going to go. I wonder how we're going to, I, in 10 years, I, I hope that this movement of legitimate body positivity grows and doesn't, you know, get so convoluted and it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And I'm just glad, again, glad we're having conversations <laughs> like this to help people and, and educate people perhaps even. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. I hope that in 10 years, this is like a moot point because everybody's not dieting anymore, you know, mm-hmm. but that is probably <laughs> a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Caroline, we haven't heard from you about oh. your relationship to food growing up. So just, uh... Well, I was a childhood binge eater, but very, very tiny. So I didn't, it didn't stress me out, but I was stressed that there were not good snacks. Mm-hmm. My mom was obsessed with health and we were all, you know, dairy free. So she just diagnosed. Uh, well, I actually think after a stomach bug, like, I wasn't like it, like my stomach was mm-hmm. upset and, and I don't know if a doctor was like, Oh, take her off cheese mm-hmm. and milk and see if she feels better. And I did, but I also could have just been getting over a stomach. Totally. I don't know. There's but, so many confounding factors with that stuff. Exactly. I, mean, I don't know. All I know is that I would sneak dairy, bad dairy. all the time yeah. and I didn't notice any issues. Right. Um, but I still thought that I wasn't supposed to eat it. Um, 
But I was a childhood binge eater, like at friends' houses. That was like my thing, mm-hmm. you know. Like once we finish a snack, what do you want to do now? Well, let's have another snack. No one's watching us. But then when I was fourteen, I was diagnosed with PCOS. And my mom freaked out, so scared. And it is scary. Like, what they tell you is scary. But, you know, I just remember my doctor saying to me, well, just, you know, don't eat carbs and, and don't gain weight and we'll put you on the pill. And, uh, and yeah. And I was like, okay, I can, like, and I was, I, like, I had hit puberty, so I did gain weight. I was still, like, now looking back, I'm like, oh, my God. I, like, it was all in my head. Like, oh, my God, my body's not my own. What's going on? I'm losing control. But, and I was a binge eater. And so it, like, caught up to me in quotes. Mm-hmm. But, um. But maybe also you were just like a normal person. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like going through puberty. <laughs> but I, but I remember thinking, like, okay, good. Okay. I can, I can do this. I can lose weight. It was like the beginning of my control issues with food. And I went on the Atkins and lost weight and then gained it all back. Went on the selfie giant, lost weight, gained it like, in a, you know, and that was my life. That was all I thought about. Career mm-hmm. dieter. Career dieter. Um, I became, again, the healthy, <laughs> the healthy person like in high school, the one who's always on a diet, the one who was always like taking supplements and, mm-hmm. um, and I would lose weight um, and then gain it all back. And so much so, I was like the dieter that when my grandfather, when I was like 24, which is right when I started the fucking diet for mm-hmm. myself, finally. Um, but when I was 24 and my grandfather was like dementia, like working so hard to try and like remember who we were, what he asked me was, he said, so are you thin or fat these days? <laughs> I just had a spiritual epiphany about this, but I'm in the middle. <laughs> but like that's, that's like who, I, that's like what my entire family was like, oh, Carl is doing this diet now. Oh, that's like, oh. it was horrible. And did that come from like their own body image issues? Oh, or they have lots everybody? of body image issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They do, but they don't think they do. Yeah. I just went home. Mm. They know that I do this and they're so like, they're like, we're so proud of you. You've Mm -hmm. turned your like control issues into like a wonderful thing. And, but the first thing my mom said to me, she was going out and she came down and she was like, how's the stress? I, uh, the diet starts tomorrow. I know you don't like when I say that. (laughs) She's a core. I mean, she's like truly like true body dysmorphic disorder Mm. because she's 56 and like we have the same body. Like, Mm -hmm. and she just, it doesn't matter. She yeah. just only sees the things that are wrong. And my dad too. Mm-hmm. My, my brother like pointed at his shirt and he was like, I know I've gained weight. Wow. And my brother was like, no, I was going to say the opposite. He's like, no, no, I, I, I have, I have. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. Mm. Like it's, it's just only able to be a little bit funny now that I yeah. do feel removed enough from it. But like seeing him like, well, I'm not surprised. Of course. I no, totally. Yeah. I so relate to that. I feel like my parents had this very low grade, like fear of fat, even though nobody in my family is fat, but it was like, oh my God, we went to, you know, we ate so much on this vacation. We got to like really rein it in. Or like my dad is like never hungry for lunch, which is just really strange to me. Like he just doesn't do lunch. <laughs> my sister. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. He, he'll like eat tomatoes for lunch. Like it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So my parents have very, like, I don't think they would recognize or own that. Although my mom in, in more recent years, you know, she was always trying to lose weight when we were kids. And more recently she's sort of like, I get it. Like I understand now I'm not doing that anymore. I'm so happy you're doing this body positivity thing. But, you know, she's like a feminist from the 60s and that, you know, she was always trying to like inculcate feminism in me, but she also was always trying to lose X amount of pounds. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, there's that sort of disconnect there of like that this is, you know, a sort of rights issue that we shouldn't have to change our bodies. I think that's a really bringing feminism into this, I think is a really, it's a good motivator. It was for me, you know, like getting angry about it and looking at it from a feminist perspective, I think is really great. And I also think, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with like where this will be in 10 years and and where we want this to be. And I think feminism, because feminism is really embracing this part of feminism, I think is a good moving, a good way to kind of move this into something that will grow and grow and grow. Because I think as the feminist feminist movement grows and changes and evolves. Hopefully it pulls up the steam with this as well and is intertwined. Yeah, no, I think it's so interesting. Like the mainstreaming of both feminism and body positivity. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's so many sort of layers to that because in a way it's, it's good to have something come more into the mainstream and have more people get the message, but then also it gets co-opted by advertisers and companies that are using it to sell kind of the status quo too. So it's like, like Weight Watchers being and not a diet. Yeah, exactly. And you get but, to this weird stuff where people are like, you know, using terms like real woman and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, wait a minute, I know what you're trying to do, but you're doing it wrong. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. We also have to get like on the same page, I think. Yeah. And I think people are getting it slowly, but you still have a lot of like concern trolling. Mm-hmm. You still hear a lot of like, just be healthy, look healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And it's like, I think we'll get there. And then when it's like true health, when people in, you know, any body size that doesn't fit this like narrow 1% sliver that is held up as the ideal, you know, people who are pursuing health in different bodies are also trolled. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. how is anybody supposed to pursue health for its own sake? You know, I think it's funny when you bring up the whole feminism aspect too, because just like understanding that feminism isn't saying like, Oh, women need to be the best. Like I'm girl, yeah. girl power, like 100, but <laughs> just, we want the same, right? Yeah, like we don't want equal. anything different. We just want equal. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the body positive space, that might be the one place that the men don't get an equal say. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating and I talk about this a little bit is that um, when it comes to ideal body types, mm-hmm. the bigger the male ideal body type gets the smaller the female ideal body type gets yeah. right so like we're getting the stress in one end but guys are getting it in the other <clears throat> totally. end too you know what I mean so like in the, in this weird way we're sitting at the table but I feel like our femininity is often challenged if our body isn't there where a guy can still be masculine and and look masculinity can look a few different ways masculinity right. can come from within a little bit easier I think than femininity can when it comes to like body size and stuff you know yeah Yeah. and I feel like it can be so subtle like even for me as like a plus size girl like I cannot stand when a man like like claps me because I'm like you wouldn't do it to a to a wafy woman like you wouldn't like hug her and like pat her really hard but you'll do it to me because I'm like a bigger girl like things like that and it's so subtle and I'm like you don't even know you're doing it but I know because I saw how you hugged her 
Mm-hmm. Then I saw that I got the like clap, clap, clap. You know what I mean? Like, that's and, like ugh. the the bro hug. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm oh. not your bro. Like, yeah. I'm a girl too. You know what I mean? So it's all these little nuanced things, and we do it. You know, how do we treat short men? How do we treat whatever? You know what I mean? So that body positive stuff, like, it's so nuance so that's what i'm hoping for in the next 10 years that like everybody has a seat at the table you yeah know? that men can be like look at me <laughs> like how i am and not have to be like oh i need to get in the gym and like get a six pack oh, or get like like when men like build up their arms and no other part of their body like <laughs> to me i'm like that's like somebody body shamed you like yeah. you're hurting i see it so, <laughs> people love your pain so yeah i think that's for me where the feminism thing comes in yeah that's so interesting and it's so sad to see i don't know if you guys saw this but the airy man campaign was mm-hmm. like a it was an april fool's joke oh, which is so depressing it's really? like airy yeah like that like, american eagle they have like untouched models i know oh. isn't that depressing they, it's yeah. kind of sad that, that they thought that would be a funny joke. Yeah, it's, it's it kind of it like undermines the principle of their like whole thing, which is yeah. just trying to be body positive. Yeah, that's and crazy. and it just seemed like oh, this is a logical extension of their brand and of oh, this body so positive thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's like no, actually, it was like a joke because yeah. I think like, I can tell you this because it I, I wrote about it and then they reached mm-hmm. out so I updated so it's like public. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wrote about that when it came out. And being, like, disappointed because I'm a big fan. We're all big fans. I mean, they keep innovating. They're the most, like, you know, innovative mainstream brand in this realm. And so when that happened, it felt like the rug was pulled out from under us a little bit. And they made me correct my piece to say, like, it wasn't a joke. It was an awareness-raising hoax because... Oh, because April Fool's the awareness-raising hoax. And I think, I mean, I think they understood immediately what had happened, but because, and I totally understand the fact that like this was meant to raise awareness of the fact that they're stopping to, they're stopping photoshopping their male models and they made this giant donation to NADA at the same Mm -hmm. time. And I'm like, that's really good. So it's hard to be totally mad, but I feel like you just kind of bungled it. And that video Mm -hmm. was just a little like winky and like, oh, these, look how silly these guys are. It's almost like we were saying in that moment where it's like, body positivity is for everybody. everybody." And on the other hand, but isn't it kind of stupid? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I wish we could get to a place where like, part of me was like, should we just not, should I make, am I being like a stick in the mud? Should I not, should I be able to laugh about this now? And I guess we're just not, I don't think we're there yet. I think it wasn't a great joke. No, totally. I think it was, right. (laughs) I think it it felt like it was like, you know, something was like thrown up in the air and everybody was like, yes, you know, like, thank you. It's here. And then it was like, zapped it away. Disappeared. Exactly. Bug zapper. Yeah. 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 That made me sad. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, Christy had um, a male on her podcast and I think, we all need to do a better job of it is the one thing I think that women have with body positivity is that it is easier to talk about and more mainstream to talk about than for men, obviously through what we're talking about. So I think that's one thing to be more inclusive with. And I'm making a stand right now that next panel we do, we have a man. I know. I know. I tried and it, but it's more, but it's more, um, (laughs) next time. That's why this has to be annual. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, and I think it's really, I just think it's really important because to give them a platform and, and again, more people talking about it. And cause it's all about shame, shaming, right? Being shamed. And for some reason, because 
we, you know, and it's all cultural, we feel like, well, we can at least share how we feel and how we have been shamed. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a little bit less taboo, I think, than men being like, I've been shamed and and speaking up about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, you know, in terms of therapy, like I'm sure that's an issue you probably see a lot coming up in your practice with eating disorders. Have you been seeing a lot more men with eating disorders recently or... Um, honestly, not with eating disorders in my practice, although that definitely is an issue. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's the name of our culture and it's the name of, of what's here is that, you know, the idea of like the policing of women's bodies to like take up less space and be smaller and remain forever young, <laughs> like all these other things. Um, but the pressure on men to take up more space, both in actions and in body, mm-hmm. um, men not feeling secure enough in themselves. Like, you know, the idea of like, if I just put on more weight or if I just was like a little bit bigger, then I'll start dating or then I'll like put myself out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that different idea of salvation. Like once I'm big enough and strong enough, then people are going to like me and people are going to be more attracted to me. Mm-hmm. And we're just yeah. going to like once I'm small enough and uh-huh. wakey and frail enough, someone will rescue me. Uh-huh. <laughs> it makes oh. no sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's this Terrible. old school sort of, um, Fairy tale, right? When we've evolved and then we just like have it. Yeah, no, in that, in <laughs> that regard, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Did not happen. That's, wow. That's and so much of that is subconscious too, I think, and just programming from media and from mm-hmm. just life, and it's crazy. Yeah. I know. It's a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a huge bummer. Yeah. No matter how like kind of sneaky it gets, you know, like oh, I'm not into like dieting. I'm into being healthy and like all this mm-hmm. other stuff no matter how sneaky this stuff gets or like coded or like embedded in stuff, like it really can't hold up ever against the truth. Mm-hmm. Because if you sit with a person, you begin to interrogate these things. It'll crumble. Mm-hmm. You know, like I go to the gym every day, like for two hours, you know, a day because I enjoy it. Cause that's what I like to do. And I'm mm-hmm. like, does your body hurt? Do you feel tired? Do you feel good every day? Like against these questions and against a person who's like grounded in that, Mm -hmm. which we all can't be all the time, but like we can make efforts to be Mm -hmm. like these things fall away Mm -hmm. and people can't hold on to it anymore. You know, so the truth is kind of always on your side. Mm -hmm. The truth is out there. It's so much more accessible to the world. Yeah. So people can, can hear it. That's such a great point. Like the, the cognitive dissonance really starts to build when you start thinking like, am I happy? Am I Mm -hmm. actually achieving what I thought I would through this process? Because I know for me, like with my eating disorder, I, it was never diagnosed at the time. It started as a diet and it, you know, really unraveled over the course of a, like a year. And then it was terrible for another year. And it was like in that whole time, you know, I had this idea of once I get, you know, thin enough, once I get to this point, my whole life can start, everything, you know, will be great. Meanwhile, like I was so depressed. I was sadder than I've ever been. I was crying myself to sleep every night. I was writing these terrible journal entries. I had acne because I had a hormonal imbalance from not having enough estrogen from, you know, not having enough body fat and like felt super self-conscious about that. And, you know, my skin was always oily and like all these things that, you know, the sort of pursuit of beauty was actually destroying my sense of, you know, both outer and inner beauty. So like, ultimately that did have to come to light, you know? And I think it, it took a long time to really put all the pieces together, but then it was like, Oh, right. Like that wasn't the way that mm-hmm. wasn't the way. You know? It reminds me of the subtitle and this might be a good transition to your reading, but the subtitle of Kelsey's book um, is how I gave up dieting and got a life. And I think 
that's, yeah. that's the thing. You know, I think I use that term like career dieter. And I think that's what a lot of us have. And a lot of people in this room have had experience with. And when you finally give that up, you can make your life as a whole really wonderful, not just focusing on the physical on the body, but it's, when that happens and you make that transition, I, I know you and I talked about this. There's this moment of like, wait, what am I even into? Like, what else is there? Like, I was so focused on this. And that's when, you know, we started doing improv and that's when you have to find hobbies and that's when you have to learn to play the ukulele. And, um, it's really empowering, you know, it's really exciting that time, but it's also scary. It's also like, and there's a lot of identity tied to that for many of us and, and maybe being public about that even. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Yeah. And it's sort of like held up as, you know, we've talked about like the path to getting a life is, reaching a certain goal weight. And then when you finally see what a myth that is, you know, that you're, that's taking away your capacity to get a life really. You know? That's when the real life begins. The yeah. good, the bad, and the, you know, the really hard stuff too, totally. like a real life, yeah. not this like magical, theoretical, non-existent, you know, yeah. goal yeah. weight life. Yeah. 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 That's really hard. You have that's to look at life, <clears throat> not through the metaphor of this language, mm-hmm. but like see really hard things for what they are. And that's, that's hard. It's yeah. really, really hard to look at the tragedy of this life at what you've been through and see it accurately for what it is and not through another lens. You know? There's like so much pain, but also so much joy in yeah. living a real life, not through that filter. And I feel like you get sort of cut off through the pursuit of dieting, weight loss and all this stuff. It's like, right. it just numbs you to all of it. Like, you know, get the highs or the lows. Yeah. We don't want to feel our feelings. And so we eat over them or we sit on our hands to not eat over them. And I've done a lot of both. And I think a lot of us have in this room and it's going, going for it and like feeling the, you know, richness of heartbreak and the, you know, richness of love and like all of it, everything in between, I think is really empowering. I don't even like that word. I don't even know why I said it. It just came out, but like, it's, it's really intense. That's the word I meant. Um, and empowering, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So we're at like an hour and, uh, I think one question, so we're going to have a reading from Kelsey from her book that I think probably will, um, like tie together a lot of these things that we've been talking about. No pressure, no pressure or anything. (laughs) Well, I I just want to say about Kelsey's book. um, Like I said about Christie's podcast and, you know, Caroline, your work and you guys, like, I'm so grateful for all of you guys and the work that you're doing and being able to explore all of your work has been so fantastic. And I read Kelsey's book when it came out, um, actually got to read it a little bit early and when I had her on my podcast and really it was, it was a really good friend to me and it was, I actually listened to you, you actually read it to me. Um, but it felt like a good friend and it, it just articulated in such a beautiful way. So many of the things I've felt recently that I felt in the past and it, it really helped me develop a self-awareness. So thank you for writing oh the God. book. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So w- before we get into that though, I want to see if 
Katie wants to do any of her signature wellness wonderland questions Ooh. for our guests so that <laughs> give Kelsey some time. To- Ooh, no, that's a good one. Um, yeah, while we give Kelsey a good time to find her, um, what she's going to read, she's got it right there. Um, well, I'll ask as a group, um, I'm trying, I've been put on the spot. Um, and just really don't have to do this, but no, it's good. Um, what's your favorite question, Katie? Oh man, uh, uh, um, let's do, if you're having, um, if you're going to be on an island and you can only bring with you one TV show, one book, and <laughs> one movie, um, what would it be? And, oh, and one food, because this is food type. Mm-hmm. So movie, book, food for the rest of your life on this deserted island. Movie and TV or movie Movie or and TV. TV, one of each, <laughs> and book. Um, and it's going to have to be quick fire because... We would stay here all night, but we don't have the space for all night. So let's all go quick. Who wants to start? I'll start. Okay. TV, Gilmore Girls. Nice. Mm. <laughs> Movie, it's so hard. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said Moulin Rouge. I think, I, honestly, I think, I think Amelie. <laughs> nice. I think Amelie. Um, uh, what are the other things? Food. Food. Uh, Something you want to get sick of. Oh, God. Does it have to, like, make me, like, sustain me, my life? No. <laughs> this is a big Okay. Part. A cheese. Amazing. <laughs> um, and what's the last thing? Um, a book. Book. Harry Potter. Uh, cool. Number one, maybe. Cool. Solid. You might want to go with a bigger one, but that will fair enough. Seven. <laughs> nice. Okay, who's next? Okay. Um... I think it's also just really funny packing a TV show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> packing a TV show, packing a movie. Uh, cool. Um, I really loved the show Big Love. Did you guys watch that? Mm, I love yeah, that show. Yeah, I could watch that all week. So yeah. that's coming with. I hope no one else is on the island because I think anyone else would tire of it. Not me, though. I'll come out and see you. Hop on yeah. over from your island and <laughs> with your stuff. Uh, movie, I might do Clue or Drop Dead Gorgeous. I love those. Book, Care of the Soul. Do you know that book? It's a really good one. Thomas Moore. It's a good book. It's about like listening to what your soul wants and like living a life according to that. Mm. And I feel like if I was an island, I'd like really need to reflect. So that. (laughs) And um, a food, I'd just do pizza. Like endless pizza, bottomless pizza. Quality answer. I get that one a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So TV show. My first instinct was to say the Cosby show, but I'm going to... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so You're heartbreaking. Not about oh, I know. So awkward. So I'll go with Sex and the City, because that's another one that cool. I love. Uh, movie Clueless. Oh, yeah. Um, so good. What was the other one? If. Ask, Ask If. <laughs> um, what was the other? Um, food. Uh, I was going to say salmon, but then you said pizza, and then I thought about artichoke downtown. Oh, yes. So I might go with, if, if artichoke delivers to my island, <laughs> that pizza, and book, mm-hmm. alchemist. Nice. Because I feel like it'll take on different meaning no matter what I'm going through, yeah. like, so it'll be totally. new every time. Okay. <laughs> Kelsey, you've answered okay. this before, but. I, oh, God. I'm probably going to totally pronounce it. That's good. I'm going to say South Park. I think for TV oh, show because it's really long and I never get sick of it. The book I'm gonna go Tree Girls in Brooklyn for the same reason. Never get sick of it. Gets better every time I read it. Movie for some reason I'm thinking about Postcards on the Edge. So why not that one? Mm-hmm. It's a good one. And food toast. <laughs> I love toast. 
You would miss toppings probably, but we'll let yeah. you bring some stuff. <laughs> I was kind of cheating with that one. <laughs> All right. So you ready to oh, read? Oh God. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to read a section I have never actually read at a reading before. Ooh, cool. I hope that's cool. Yeah. Um, so this book, uh, if you're not familiar, is, is basically the framework of it is like the first year after I quit dieting and <laughs> eating and all that stuff. Um, but obviously there's necessarily a lot of flashbacks in there and I had to sort of unpack all my, you know, I had to sort of diet deprogram and this was a, this tells the story of um, a big moment of diet deprogramming that I went through, a big revelation. And I'm starting in the middle with the chapters called On Dumplings. Here's where the bonus round of crazy comes in. By the time I landed in Teresa, my intuitive eating coach's office, I created a subclass of good and bad foods and the various scenarios in which they could be made better or worse. This was the rationale that turned a cabbage side dish into something that canceled out a hamburger. <laughs> While I'd never gotten higher than a B minus in any kind of math class, I managed to generate an internal flow chart of various food values, which I unconsciously whipped out every time I had a menu in my hands. Brunch, for example. The omelet comes with hash browns or salad. If one gets the hash browns, the omelet must have no cheese and therefore an additional green vegetable. The hash browns may be eaten, but at least one-fourth must be left on the plate. If one gets the salad, the omelet may have cheese or meat, and one must eat the greens first while describing last night's epic kale salad to brunch with a canyon. <laughs> two tablespoons of milk are left. Two tablespoons of milk are left for coffee, but one must inquire if skim is available. If not, the milk ration remains the same, but one-fourth of the omelet must be left on the plate. <laughs> one slice of toast is allowed if it is buttered, but two if the toast is only topped with preserves. Not jelly. <laughs> preserves have seeds, and jelly is purple. Jelly is for children. Grown-ups eat preserves, confits, and no sugar-added jams. If one eats only half the omelet, toast, and hash browns, then one may have a frozen yogurt later and Instagram it. <laughs> Maybe most adults have instincts to keep their meals healthy and balanced. Perhaps they naturally choose between hash browns and cheese in their omelets because they simply don't feel like it's heavy a meal. But those people were as mysterious and unfathomable to me as child chess prodigies. I could not simply stroll into brunch and wing it without a protocol firmly in place. Even months after intuitive eating practice, I still found myself looking around the restaurant as I ate. Check out my toast, y'all! It's got a jam, and I'm just eating it like whatever. They didn't have rye, so I'm having wheat, but that's cool, am I right? I'm right, right? I thought back to the Sunday nights of my dieting days when I'd cook huge pots of carefully calculated recipes, sincerely intending to eat this and only this for the rest of the week. There were giant pots of fat-free vegan chili, giant pots of one-point carrot soup, giant pots of kale and everything, because anything mixed with kale was made better by association. <laughs> Somewhere around Wednesday, the food would become an albatross, a Tupperware ghost haunting my fridge and shaming me for the Indian takeout I just ordered and the pounds of wasted ingredients I'd leave to molder in my vegetable crisper until next Sunday when I'd finally throw it out and start all over again. And then there was the dumpling scenario. Of all the crazy illogical equations in my head, nothing is more emblematic than the way in which I behaved around dumplings. Spoiler, like a lunatic. <laughs> Dumplings were bad, 100%. Thick, chewy dough wrapped around fat, speckled meat that tasted like gristly heaven. Dumplings were not, dumplings were the first thing that caught my eye on any Chinese food menu. Fried was not an option. Once when I was a kid, my nanny Karen and I had gone to the movies at a local mall, stopping by Panda Express for a quick dinner before the film. 
I ate one of the fried dumplings off her plate and then spent the rest of the night immediately convinced that I'd done irrevocable cardiac damage. I was 10. Now <laughs> having a heart attack. How do you know? Feel my heartbeat. It's fine. You're just amped up because you're stressing out. Stress causes heart attacks. <laughs> the shushing got so bad that we eventually left the movie theater. I still have no idea what happens at the end of My Father the Hero. <laughs> fried dumplings were too delicious to enjoy, but steamed dumplings were allowed for a few years. During my first round with Weight Watchers, I had them delivered three orders at a time, each with an extra set of duck sauce for dipping. Duck sauce was not in my was not listed in my points book, and therefore I had no point. <laughs> I ate one and a half orders for dinner, and then pulled out the leftovers first thing in the morning. Stood in front of the open fridge and finished the cold, slightly hardened dumplings before anyone else woke up. By the time I finished college, dumplings had risen to the top of my bad list. They were up there with French fries and full-fat ice cream. They were an absolute no-no unless split with a skinny friend and followed up with an extra workout and at least one full head of kale spinach or cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't just that I'd ramped up the crazy by then, but also because I discovered gyoza. Gyoza was good. It was a diet dumpling with a slightly thinner skin and a little less meat inside. Plus, it came in a smaller container. Fried gyoza was allowed half the time because it wasn't a big, fat, fried dumpling, just a small, pan-fried little nibble appetizer. Mm. Note that pan-fried was different from fried because someone put the word pan in front of it. Furthermore, gyoza came from Japanese food restaurants. Japanese food was officially better than Chinese food, what with all the raw fish and miso soup. Japanese lunch specials came with a side of seaweed salad, whereas Chinese food lunch specials came with a side of an egg roll. Chinese food was for cheat days and final pickouts the night before the next diet started. Japanese food was for light work, work lunches and healthy dinners after yoga. If you're not worried that I might be racist, rest assured that I share your concern. <laughs> gyoza was good, but even better was shumai. Shumai was basically nothing. If you ate shumai, you might as well get a Big Mac afterward because those tiny, thin skin balls seemed steamed with purity were officially making you good for the rest of that day. You won. By eschewing the dumplings and gyoza and opting for the least delicious, most miniature food option, you now had bragging rights for the next 24 hours and had earned a trip to the frozen yogurt shop. Perhaps the cashier would like to hear about your very healthy lunch? <laughs> the dumpling revelation happened at work. A few months into intuitive eating, I found myself scanning sushi lunch specials online. But that lunch hour was an aha moment, the likes of which I was not prepared for. All at once, I got it. Dumplings, gyoza, and shumai are the same damn thing. (laughs) They're slightly different shapes with slightly different fillings, but for all practical purposes, they're exactly the same. Verbal kint is Kaiser Soze, Rosebud is a sled, and I have spent 20 years wringing my hands over appetizers. (laughs) Oh, I told everyone. (laughs) Dumplings and gyoza are the same thing. Did you ever think about that? (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) Harry, my boyfriend, turned around at his desk later that night. He was busy working on a freelance assignment, but by then he knew the tone that meant, turn around so I can astound you with my latest food discovery and all of my feelings about it. (laughs) It's kind of a loud tone. (laughs) You never realized that? They are. Now, I know that they are. I just never really thought about it. This is the problem with dating someone who has absolutely no food issues beyond a mild dislike of fennel. (laughs) With this first epiphany, the walls of Jericho came swiftly tumbling down. If dumplings and gyoza were pretty much the same thing in slightly different forms, then neither of them possessed the good or bad powers I had so fervently believed in. And if that was true for dumplings, then what other foods might be similar false idols and demons? 
While it was thrilling to eat Chinese food without risking damnation, the miracle was unsettling. All those old rules had created a safe, knowable structure, one that I relied on to guide me through every meal and snack I encountered. They'd given me, they'd given me both a line to toe and a comfort zone to hide in. One icy Sunday, I decided to poke my head out. I ordered a burger with French fries. Cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. You laugh, you cry, you can relate to it so much. It's okay. just maybe that's why you laugh and cry so much. It's amazing. Every ounce of it, I loved it so much. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love. Thank, oh, thank you. you for reading that. Oh my god. So as soon as you said it, I was like turning them. I was like, it's one of my favorite parts. I remember I laughed. So I well, love that part about the calculations and the yeah. brunch. And I hear about that section more than any other. And so I thought that was like a good one to read. But honestly, it took about seven people telling me that to be like, mm-hmm. really? Uh-huh. We're all that crazy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like this yeah. crazy calculus going on all the Isn't time. Isn't that funny? Every time I put something out there about like the craziness, I'm always like, I gotta be the only one that ever did that. Yeah. Like that. And then it's like, oh wow, I'm not alone. Look at all these people. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's cathartic sharing it, I think, in so many ways. Um, and it's, it's really builds community. It's really yeah. cool. So I love it. Okay. So speaking of community, segue. <laughs> um, we wanted to do an audience Q and A because we have all of you lovely people here and it's so rare that we actually get to hang out with our listeners in person and, and, you know, share and hear their stories. So, um, would love to hear from you guys if you have any questions or things that you want to share that, you know, this, um, talk brought up for you or just, you know, questions, comments, concerns, anything from you guys. So any feedback, even on anything. feedback. Yeah. Ideas for you to share. Anybody? <laughs> okay. Well, um, first of all, I just want to say congratulations on your book releasing. Today. Thank you. Yeah. So It's just so wonderful to hear from all of you and just to be in this room with you guys. So I had something that happened right before I left work today. So it was on my mind when I came here. My coworker, she said she had a doctor's appointment tomorrow morning. And, you know, I was like, okay, I hope everything goes well. She's like, yeah, it's just a physical. It'll be fine. Um, I know I'm healthy. I know my doctor's just going to tell me to lose weight. And so my response to that was, you know, if you're healthy, why do you have to lose weight? And and she was like, oh, no, 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 I just need to, I just need to. And I just kind of left it at that. I, I wasn't sure what to say. But how do you guys, like, what do you say in situations like that? Because that happens with my family all the time, with people at work, like, literally once a day, I would mm-hmm. say, if not more. So how, how do you respond to that? And, um, you know, sometimes people are not ready to hear, like, everything I have to say or might think yeah. that... I'm crazy if I, you know, start going on a little rant, but yeah. How do you respond? Great question. I think all of us relate to that. Uh, Who wants to take it? I'll go first. First of all, I'm fascinated by office food and diet culture. I feel like this is my first year having quit my job and that's the one thing I don't miss. Like (laughs) people hovering over my desk, what I'm eating, what I'm not eating, how much weight I've lost, how much I've gained. Like the office is like this weird place where all of that comes up with these people that you're with 40 hours a week. I don't get it. I don't understand it. So it's crazy. And I feel like we all have experienced that a little bit. Um, the other thing I would say, I know you're wondering, like, how do you kind of like convey your kind of thoughts and stuff? And I guess my opinion is to just lead by example. Like if people see the way you're living and the way that you're 
kind of embracing your body and your health and stuff. Like I feel like it creates a safe space for people to explore it in their own way. Cause I think in the same way that like shaming someone isn't going to make them do what their body, what you think they should do. You can't really empower people. They have to empower themselves. You know what I mean? So I think when people see something that looks good on you, whether it's like your glow or like how happy you are, you know, whatever, then that will lead them to maybe ask more questions or be more observant and kind of check themselves. Um, and it keeps you kind of your nose clean too. <laughs> so good. Uh, such a good help. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> What's your reaction usually, Kelsey? I mean, I think you've got to really pick your battles. I mean, there's times when it's just like, Ugh, do I really, do I want to change, try to change the world right now? You know? Yeah. But I think if somebody's, if it's a close friend or, you know, somebody who's sort of maybe criticizing me, then that's maybe a time when I might try and talk about it, but trying to do it in the most like neutral, non-defensive way as possible. Because that's my instinct is to get really defensive. It just doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But then there are times when it's like, you know, I'm not, you're not going to get through to the juice cleansers sometimes. And that's when it's true. Like just living your life in a way and like eating and existing in the world and going to the doctor and stuff like that. And in like whatever way you do in a, in a body positive way without any kind of shame. I think that it, that does for me, that, that certainly does make me feel freer to do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I love feigned ignorance. Like, um, <laughs> basically, I mean, anytime somebody says something that I think is, like, harmful to them or, like, they're expressing some kind of an opinion, it's like, you just exactly said it. You were like, well, if you're healthy, why would you need to lose weight? And you planted a question and you just allowed it to sit there and you just allowed it to, like, yeah, that's good. and it'll take root. You just ask the question. Um, and you don't even have to tip your cards. You keep your nose clean, I love whatever. That. I love that. <laughs> you can reveal nothing of what's on your heart or what you believe to be true. You're just asking an important question. I love that. That's, that's, that's really good. good. Yeah. So much. Also you should be up there. I like. I was gonna say that I. I am a horrible debater. I I hate it. Uh, all all facts leave my brain when I'm trying to mm. really prove a point. Yeah. So most people, I just I, I gauge whether I believe that they're in any place to hear any little thing, and the answer is normally that they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if they are, like I have a couple friends who become better friends over the years just because we have more in common but who really were in a place of hearing and really were excited and liberated by my personal journey. Most people like that's just, we just can't go there Mm -hmm. because they just aren't ready. And I wouldn't have been either. Yeah, you know, yeah, six years ago, oh, yeah. I was like, no, 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 but, but like, but I have like hormonal problems. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I, I like have to, mm-hmm. I would have turned off this podcast, but right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Readiness is such an important issue, but I love, I love this idea of planting a seed, you know, mm-hmm. and just like putting the information out there for people to find it whenever they're ready or to like think back on it and be like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, my, my coworkers said this thing, you know, six years ago and I didn't listen then, but now, cause I've had that experience too. You know, I had like, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I was editing a package on childhood obesity for slate, like six or seven years ago. And, you know, I was tapped to do this, to edit, like guest edit this package because my friend who was the editor who normally would have handled it on staff there was into health at every size. Like he would not 
conscience doing a package on how can we fix childhood obesity? Cause he was like, that's fucked up. It's not a problem. Like, why do we need to fix it? Um, and I was like, well, I'll take it on. I'm a public health expert, you know? And then flash forward, like, seven years. And I'm like very much steeped in this, you know, and I thought a couple of years ago, I thought back to it and I was like, oh, right. That's what he was talking about, you know, and it all sort of fell into place. So it's like, it may take them some time and, you know, everybody has their own journey, but like, I think nothing goes to waste. You know, I think no, there's no small element of like the truth that goes, you know, that gets left behind. So yeah. Well said. It's a great question. Yeah. yeah, great question. Anybody else have anything they want to share? Yeah. I have yes. a question. Um, I was really appreciating what you all were talking about, about the idea of femininity and how we identify with food and with body and kind of our value as women in society. And something that personally on my own eating journey that I thought a lot about through life was if I was a boy or if I was a man, how would I eat differently? Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite questions for people is just, even today, being in the position that all of you are in, talking about body positivity, do you think that you would eat differently if you were male? <coughs> mm-hmm. And what would be different about how you eat? I would probably only eat tomatoes for lunch. Genetically, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> That's really funny because my dad is so disordered with eating, um, and my brother too. Uh, but I think now my answer to the question is I wouldn't eat any differently. Uh, but I wonder what I would have said five years ago. Mm-hmm. So while other people answer, maybe I'll think about it. No, I think I think that certainly you can't argue that this it's different for women than it is for men. But honestly, I think the more that I talk to like my guy friends about this and my boyfriend and the men in my life, you know, I think probably would have been the same except I wouldn't have had... The, the ability to talk about it and even felt like I had the right to talk about it or the right to be embarrassed, mm-hmm. you know? And, and to, I'm, like you said, I'm very grateful for that lingo. It feels like a weird argument, but I, I think that's probably true. And it's really, it's, it's very enlightening to, to get guys to open up about this because it's like, once you pull that lever, you find there's so much there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to say. <laughs> um, because I think absolutely I would agree with that, but this seems to be more and more present for men. I do think, and this is, again, is as much my own transference towards my own gender as everything else. I think that being raised female, I ask myself the question if I'm entitled to something or if I can have something mm-hmm. more than I imagine I would if I were not raised female. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that extends to food. Mm-hmm. Can I have this? Can I have as much of this as I, as I would ideally want to? Mm-hmm. I think that that feels like it's more present for me. But also, the blinds are getting blurred more and more now. Mm-hmm. In that we can talk about it, not like, oh, we're all having more issues. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to share? Or I have a question. Yeah. Kind of related to like the office dynamics. Mm-hmm. So you're known as, in this identity as this healthy person. That's a great thing. You know, we eat our kale, we eat our salads. But then it creates this disordered way of eating because what if one day I want to have that cookie but I can't because then they're not going to trust me anymore like that trust in the health and the you know I feel better I'm healing myself kind of was out the window so like how do you deal with that in like public situations like people say like oh you you can't have that well Mm -hmm. I can I'm choosing not to but I can 
but if I do, do you see me differently? Like, it just creates a cyclical, like, disorder. How do you deal with it? It's oh, so hard. I, I think I honestly think that the heart one of the hardest parts about recovering from disordered eating is knowing how many other disordered eaters there are out there, and those are the people who are judging you. No, people who aren't disordered with eating, they don't think yeah, about this. They don't That's care. Really well said. And it's the people. It's like people say, like, well, nobody cares what your body looks like, and it's like, you know, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody really does. People really do only worry about themselves, but. As a disordered eater, I was looking at everybody's body all the time because I was insecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so it's so hard. I'm not giving you any helpful answers except that I empathize. And it's so hard to know what other disordered eaters think because we just want people to approve of what we're doing. And I think that's actually like an empowering point when you think about it. Cause it's like, I mean, the, the research shows like 75% of women have some kind of disordered eating or full blown eating disorder. And then like, I don't know what the statistics are for men, but it's growing, you know? So it's like, if you think about that, like you can sort of assume that anybody who seems to be judging you for what you're eating probably has some of their own shit going on and just sort of be like, that's on you, you know, that's not on me. Mm-hmm. But also I think for me, I find it like personally really, um, gratifying or fun to be able to be like, you know, have someone see me eat a kale salad. I'm a nutritionist by profession, you know? So like my people see all these credentials after my name and then they see me eating. I just had an apple turnover before we came here, you know? And I just feel like that is a gift that like, I feel good to do that. You know, that I eat intuitively and can be like, I feel like a turnover right now. And to be, you know, if people ask me about it or like, Oh, I thought you were healthy. I thought you were a nutritionist, you know, which sometimes does happen. It's like, why are you eating that? I'm like, because all foods fit, like all foods can be part of a healthy balanced diet. And you know, my, then I can kind of give a little like hide behind my professional identity a little bit be like, I teach people intuitive eating. I help with eating disorder recovery. Like, you know, use it as a little way to educate kind of going back to your question almost like link perfectly that's a great way that's a great window into it yeah being like well here's what i you know understand in my professional practice which like i feel like even if you're just you know someone who researches this stuff and you don't have like a professional identity fully staked on that you can still be like oh well you know these blogs i follow say this you know and just kind of hide behind like this is a movement that i'm interested in Mm -hmm. you know rather than making it about you per se yeah and for me like i'm I kind of come at the health at every size. I say healthy curves at every size, like health within the plus size space, right? So something for me, like I do plus size workout videos. I do like plus size clean eating. Like the idea that like your body and your health aren't, you know, like one is not an indicator of the other, right? Um, but what I find often is because a lot of my um, like plus size blogger friends don't live in New York, I'll often see them when I'm like traveling. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll be in like travel, like vacation mode. Mm -hmm. And they see me on social media, like snapping the morning smoothie and this and that. So we'll sit down and I'll be like, wine. And they're like, like touching their pearls. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm on vacation. I'm not here to impress you. And like, don't apologize to me for what you're going to eat. And those are two things that happen for me. And I feel like I, I did for a long time, like, what I didn't want to do is get into a space where I only did that stuff in private because I was hiding it. And so for me, I feel like health, especially when you are being public with your journey, like I feel like obviously we're all still on the road to whatever or like staying in recovery or whatever that is. Like for me, I'm definitely on the path and I'm sharing that, whatever that looks like for me. So like there could be a space where like mental health is on 10 and maybe physical health isn't doing so well. Like 
that's healthy to me today. And that's something that I've had to work super hard for. So that that involves a cookie. Like I'm not going to let people judge me and I might do it, you know, in a space where they see for my own sanity and to be authentic as well. So I feel like, I mean, that's kind of me just kind of telling my story. Hopefully that answers your question. Like what I'm trying to say a little bit. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love that. Awesome. Great question. I think we had another question back there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if uh, someone you can speak to how you feel that um, these sorts of attitudes about food or maybe past obsessions with food might now translate into more life things. Um, I find that, uh, like you mentioned, um, having hobbies and passions, and I find that now that that's part of my life, uh, I, I can fall into the trap of letting these sort of like obsession, obsessive thoughts translate onto these real things that are now more important um, and then maybe in turn falling back to the food stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys find that and how you might deal with it. Great question. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to repeat the question real quick for listeners because oh, I think sure. that the mic might not be picking up way in the back. Um, so she was asking if, uh, you know, what, what we sort of do to deal with when, you know, the food issues are behind us, but then that same kind of obsessional quality starts to apply to other things in life, right? Like hobbies or um, other pursuits. When I quit the like dieting, sort of eating whole cycle thing, I had to deal, like it was, it was a wonderful, very exciting revelatory thing. And it was also ripping the bandaid off of everything that I had been avoiding. And I, had to go back to therapy, a lot of it, like a whole lot of it for a while. And I had to address so, so many things, so many patterns of behavior that I just so, so tempered with food and OCD was a really big part of it. It is a big part of my life and it is something that I deal with, but I manage it now. I live with it now. I work with it now as opposed to just having it sort of tangled up in this numbed out food thing. Mm -hmm. So and it wasn't, it wasn't just that, that was a big thing, but like, yeah, you, you have to deal with all these other, everything else in your life that comes up and you're so used to thinking about it within these specific obsessional thought patterns. Mm-hmm. And I think there's really no easy out. I think it's just one of those things where you have to be like, shit, okay, I have to deal with this now. But it, it brings you to that point of dealing with it now. And I swear there's an, like, you can get to the other side of it. And when you do, it's, that's when your life really starts to free up and become yours again. Because it doesn't, it didn't feel like mine for a little bit after this. It went from like food was the boss to like my brain, my messed up brain was the boss. And, and now I have some agency. But, um, if anything, it'll, it forces you to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But I love that you said yeah. the therapy part. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> seeing yourself and like yourself at your core, because we are who we are. Like, mm-hmm. could have been food, could have been heroin. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know what Seriously. I mean? Like, whatever. <laughs> um, something I had happened to me when I was kind of like really hardcore, like in like the thick of my journey, like it was all brand new and fresh. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, I got this. Right. And I had like two hours to kill. And normally that would have been like a let's go to Pinkberry and get a yogurt and then let's go get a snack over here. And I was like, I'm not doing that because I'm a new person. Like I am different. And I tell you, I shocked my way through that two hours, which is still consumption. Like at the same time, like I'm doing the same exact thing. It just wasn't food. So like seeing myself like that, I was like, okay, maybe some therapy is like needed. 
Like I had to consume, like it was going to be oh, clothes we just or cupcakes, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think like looking at yourself and not being scared to do that, then I feel like that's when you can make those decisions, not because like you're so holier than thou, but because it's what you want or who you are, you know, mm-hmm. like there's no right answer for that. It's about like tra- getting to know yourself, I think yeah. is really important in this journey. And I think it's something that eventually, like we said, if you actually do the work, it's who you are and having that, cultivating that self-awareness, it's going to be right up in your face and it's scary and you don't want to deal with that. And journaling was a big part of my journey with that to like figure, figure all of that out and try to sort through it in some way. Even productivity is something Mm -hmm. that I meaning it's a drug (laughs) how many emails can I get (laughs) right and and I think just to add to what they have already said about this which I totally agree with is that the more I've figured out and the more I've realized are my are my control issues I think it at the at the core it really does come down to an unwillingness to to be still Mm, and to like really be okay with that and to just be be okay um without proving anything um is really hard mm-hmm. and i think it's a it's a continue yeah exactly it doesn't sound fun and i think that but it's know, everything it doesn't everything. Yeah. right it doesn't it sounds like i think it's a thing even a year ago i'd be like ew gross like, what yeah. are you talking about yeah but but rest like i, I do make it fun now. i'm like i'm gonna like lie in bed and like not do anything mm-hmm. and like that's really hard for me yeah because I feel guilty but like <laughs> yeah. that is therefore that is my therapy in a way and so making it actually like self-care like whatever is the thing that I'm afraid to give myself because I don't think I deserve it or something I think that is a big part of all of this too um, I think if you can even reframe this may be kind of convoluted but if you can reframe self-care as productive Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But even self care to me, I used to be like, gross. like I don't want to take a bath or like, <laughs> or like. I just imagine that self care was something that someone else wanted to do, and I didn't want to do that. I was like, ew, like yeah. perfume and like kimonos. That's funny. Fun. But I'm doing. but like what it means to me is like you know being able like it's a lot of bed (laughs) and and um like even tv i feel really guilty watching tv like i shouldn't Mm. be doing like this is um but then i i also sometimes use tv as so like i mean it's a you use the word numbing like i do i i want to numb i want to numb out and the more i like kind of lean into the catharsis of, of feeling it. Like it's almost like feels good. I know that's like kind of a weird thing to say, yeah. but yeah, that's been, that's been big for me being like, Oh, actually like sadness can feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you're letting it go and you're experiencing it and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really does change everything and it makes you less afraid to, to deal with what's coming at you. Yeah. I think it's helpful to remember too, that every time like a pattern repeats, it's like another gift or another opportunity to like interrogate it or see what's at the bottom of it. Because if you see yourself, you know, in that moment shopping or doing whatever thing it is, yeah. like that's a chance for you to check in and to find out or like 
learn more of the mystery of what this whole thing has really been about. And I also think too that sometimes like it's okay to allow yourself to have that too. Like, you know, like watching yourself shopping, like I had all this pent up anxiety and it needed to go somewhere. So I shopped yeah. like allowing yourself those things or to map this pattern onto other things as you figure it out mm-hmm. like, is okay. Yeah. Um, and it's part of getting there. Self-acceptance was so huge for me in, in healing. And I think I like was always, you know, judging myself for the behaviors that I knew were disordered. Mm-hmm. So to be like able to accept myself through it and be like, this might not change right now. And that's okay. Like maybe it's not in my power to change it right this instant. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just gave up doing this with food and now I'm doing it with the shopping or now I'm doing it with work or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like just noticing and not judging was, was so important. The curiosity and not judgment is like yeah. the revelation yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions from anyone? That was a wonderful question. Thank you. Yes. On the topic of self-care, I was wondering if you guys could share some of your favorite self-care routines, habits, activities. I think many Nice. Nice. Caroline, you have one that you said on my podcast called your lie down. Oh, my lie down. Talk about your lie down. Yes. This is what I do. Well, this actually came from me doing this energy program where we're doing this energy work and it's all about releasing like emotions that are stuck. But she has us do 10 minutes lying down flat on our back. It's not a meditation, though it is of sorts, but all you have to do is lie there on your back for 10 minutes. (laughs) It's awesome because you always have time to do it. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't have time to do like my big dramatic bath. The 10 minute lie down. It's like, it really does. Your brain goes, you know, and you see it going and, and I get intuitive. Like, I feel like my, like, intuition speaks up and I like get up from 10 minutes and I'm like, huh, I feel like I have some clarity and I didn't do anything hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but people really resist it too. I have a lot of friends who are like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, and that's the stillness thing. Like the more I do it, the more I'm willing to lie there doing nothing for 10 minutes. But a couple years ago, no way. Mm-hmm. No way. So it's like meditation, but you're not saying that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It just really is like a rest. Yeah. Slash just meditation. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. I love that term. It's so great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I'm cognizant of the time because I know we ran over and I don't want to, you know, speaking of self-care, right? You guys need to get home and, and do some sleep, self-care. Maybe. That's one of my favorite self-care routines is sleeping. So yeah, I just, I guess want to say like, thank you guys all on the panel so, so much for being here. You guys are such amazing guests. And you guys want to plug or promote like places that you want to send the audience to find out more about you and your work? We can start with you, Amy. Um, people can go to amyroad.com to learn more about my therapy practice. You can also come see me improvise at the Magnet Theater on Wednesdays. Yeah. Woo! Love it. Um, you can find my book, tons of links at kelseymiller.com. You can read my column on Refinery29 every Monday and I write all kinds of things there. Woo! <laughs> Yay! Yay! You can come to thefuckitdiet.com. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to remember. Um, Oh, yes. Um, You can follow me on Instagram because I do cool things throughout every week. And I usually 
I always post it there when I'm doing something interesting, whether it be a blog post or a video. So my Instagram is C-C-O-L-I-S-A. C-E-C-E-O-L-I-S-A. So see you over there. <laughs> and then Katie, tell us quickly about your book because we yes. barely even talked about it. Yes. Well, it is out today. Today is the There she is. My amazing model slash uncle. <laughs> um, but yeah, let it out a journey through journaling. And the book is all about journaling, which really speaks to the question that um, you had the last question about self-care because that's one of my biggest self-care routines. It's, it forces you. It's very uncomfortable for people and it, because it forces you to be with yourself and spend time with yourself. And I got so much resistance to that that I wrote a book about it to help people through that resistance and be a little guide and friend along the way. So check it out. It's on Amazon and it's in so stores good. now. It's so, it's so good. good. Thank you, guys. Journaling was another self-care where I was like, don't. Yeah, and I always say, like, if you can write a text or you don't, or send an email, you can journal. You don't have to be a writer of any sort. So journaling is for everyone. Oh, so great. Well, thank you guys again so much. Thanks to all of you for being here. And um, I'm Christy Harrison. You can find me at ChristyHarrison.com. So thanks so much. And uh, stick around for a few minutes. We can say hi after the show if you want. Yeah. All right. That's all for today, everyone. I hope you liked that live podcast as much as I did. I had such a blast being around those inspiring, awesome women, and I really hope to do more of this, to take this podcast on the road, take the show on the road, and get to not only record live, but to meet people in the audience and have that dialogue that we have at the end where the show gets to become really interactive and there's more community surrounding the show. So until then, the best way to have community is over in the Facebook crew. So join the Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. Make sure you sign up for my email list. That's how you'll get new episodes, secret episodes, new stuff happening all the time, and that is the place to get it. So I really love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out Christy's intuitive eating online course program. Again, use the link in the show notes so she knows that I sent you and check out the Hay House World Summit. It's fantastic. Again, link in the show notes. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Oh, and don't forget to buy my book, Let It Out, Journey Through Journaling. Go get it at your bookstore. Ask them to order it if they're already out of it. And May 14th, that is the date that I will be having my Detroit local book party here. It's in the West Village. It's at Red Hook. It's going to be so much of a blast. If you're still listening to this, you're awesome because I'm just rambling at this point. But I will also be in L.A. and my launch party there is on the 22nd. The last time... On the podcast, I accidentally said the 21st, but it's the 22nd. That is a Sunday. So I hope to see you guys all then in Santa Monica for that launch party there or in Detroit or both. You should just travel with me. That would be really fun. We should get a tour bus. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the wellness wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives and never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on the wellnesswonderland.com. See you back in wonderland.